How many enjoy just being able to sit and worship, right? Uh, I love worship, especially when it's very God-centered, because sometimes, like Shiloh said earlier, life just gets so busy, and uh, depending on what you choose to focus on, sometimes uh, we need to come, and we need to sit, and we need to sing songs, and we need to be in the Word of God to keep the right perspective. Amen? Right? Just be reminded that God is still on the throne, that He doesn't change that he's still in control, he still has a plan for your life or my life as his children, nothing can defeat that, amen, right? And, and I thought about that word perspective, because as we've been uh, working through the book of Philippians, uh, we saw last Sunday that really there was perspective that Paul, the Apostle Paul was bringing to this uh, imprisonment that he was working through, right? And his perspective in verses 12 through 18, right? In verse 12, it says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And so he brought this perspective, rather than dwelling on himself and kind of this woe is me victim mentality, he, he panned up, we call it around here 10,000 feet, and he said, wait, time out. You know what? It's not that bad. In fact, I'm rejoicing. I'm rejoicing because God has brought good out of this, right? And we looked at that last uh, last Sunday, and today we're actually going to look at the Apostle Paul, and he's going to take us not to 10,000 feet, but uh, I don't know, how high is, where is space? When do you hit space, right? He's, he's going to take us off of the, off the planet, above, above, not just above the trees, but into space. How many of you enjoy, you know, those, those sometimes you see on TV where they get that camera, and they zoom out, all, you know, and suddenly you're in space, and you see the, the earth as a, as a globe, and you're like, yeah, it's really small, right? And you're like, wow, you know, sometimes I need to be reminded that, that we're not the center of the universe. And uh, so we're going to go, and we're going to go uh, through Philippians uh, 19 through 21 today. Really, I want to encourage you to come with us, and we're going we're gonna to see the Apostle Paul speak to us, and God speak to us through his word from, from a, even a, a broader, greater perspective. And here's the challenge with this. I was sharing with the leadership team this morning. I'm going to ask you to, to hang in there with me because uh, there's an aspect of, of the verse that we're going to focus on today where the Apostle Paul is speaking and his perspective comes from life experience. His, his perspective comes from uh, great successes and incredible trials. And it comes from uh, a number of years of following Jesus. It comes through having to wrestle with putting off things he was raised with and, and, and wrestling with, with what it means to walk and be a follower of Jesus under the new covenant, right? So after all these years, the Apostle Paul, we're going to focus on this one statement that many of you have heard several times, but you need to understand he's speaking from experience, often great, painful experience, experiences where what you thought was right, what I thought was right, were confronted that it was wrong. And that you have to wrestle with being wrong and wrestle with, okay, well, what does that mean? And I thought, and, and uh, you know, a lot of this wrestling. And so he comes through this much more mature, much more confident in God. But he's speaking from this perspective that I want to encourage you, many of us may not quite yet have and that's understandable you'll understand what i say what i mean by that in a little bit because in this room there's a lot of different ages represented not just your biological age but your age in the lord some of you have been walking with the lord for decades uh, some of you at home maybe you just started and you may not have not just the life experience but the spiritual life experience that the apostle paul has and this is one of these verses that we're going to focus on that if we're not careful, we interpret it as like, well, you should. And you're like, I really agree with I should. But the, the challenge in the application is you just don't have the life experience to fully get it fully. And we're all in process, right? The, the way, like, one way that I explain this is if you've been a parent or you remember yourself when you were a teenager, how many of you, either as a parent of teenagers or when you were a teenager, thought as a teenager you knew everything about life and your parents didn't really know much? Okay, right? Some of you may be experiencing that right now, right? So you think because they're speaking from what? 16 years of life experience, right? And you as a parent, you're just like, 
have no idea. Right? And how many of you as parents have tried to reason with them? How many of parents have actually said these words? When you're older, you'll understand. Any, right? But it doesn't work. Why? Because they're not older. They're just 16, processing life through the lens of 16. You're 30, 40, 50, having gone through peaks and valleys, right? So in, in third, as a 40-year-old, let's say, things that you thought were really huge didn't turn out to be so huge. And things that, you, you know, you have perspective, our kids or us at that teen, we didn't have the same perspective. Not that we were trying to be, you know, mean or we just didn't know what we didn't know. Okay? Now, in your walk with Jesus, there's a process called sanctification. It's a maturing that will come as you continue following Jesus day in and day out on this planet until you go home. That's very similar because sometimes as young believers, we think we got it wired. We read the Bible, okay, we read a verse, and we think we got everything wired, right? And you're going to show up, and you're going to tell them how to run the church. You're going to tell them how they're wrong, right? And you're so excited, and you have this youthful enthusiasm to follow Jesus, and you just don't have the experience. And then when life happens as a believer, you, you kind of go, what? what happened? Everything I thought, all the books I read. It's not jiving anymore, and, and you have to maybe go through a wilderness, even as a believer, as you wrestle and try to mature and grow, and all you're doing is maturing through perspective, learning that even as a believer, you were wrong, or you didn't know it all, or it wasn't just your way or the way you were taught or the way you like it, right, that God's kingdom is this big. And it's vast and it's diverse and you're trying to wrestle with these issues. And it's just a maturing process. It's just a maturing process. It doesn't mean that you don't even have the best of intentions. For years and years, I took uh, junior high and high schoolers to Hume Lake. Love Hume Lake's ministry back then, right? And on, I believe it was Wednesday night, it was decision night. And they would prep the counselors before and say, okay, this is, this is, the, this is the traditional Decision night, the speaker's going to call for altar call, have the kids come up, and then you get to counsel afterwards. I remember those, right? And then I remember the great intentions that the kids would leave Hume Lake with. Mountaintop experience, right? And we'd have a closing uh, gathering of all the students. And, you know, I can't, I mean, I can't remember how many of them just said, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going back to Nordoff. And starting Monday, I'm living for Jesus. I'm going to Matillaha. Starting Monday, I'm going, you know, I'm going to clean my room. Okay? You do that, right? And, and all this stuff, and they would make these great, you know, in, in, intentions. They have these great intentions, these great resolutions. And then, it's funny, like, before we even got back to church, they'd be fighting with each other. And complaining that they're hungry and they're hot, and, right? And suddenly, they're back in the real world. And I'm not doubting their sincerity when they were on the mountaintop, but what happened? The real world, life. Life happened. Then they went to Nordoff, and they dealt with peer pressure, and they invited the parties after football games, and, and all the old temptations came back, and all the old friends, right? And so now they're trying to wrestle with what this spiritual experience they had at Hume with the reality of life, and they're having to wrestle and mature, mature through it. And so I, I, I lay this framework because... If we're going to really understand, and I believe if we're going to really be open to what the Spirit is going to say to you through the Word, you have to give yourself some grace here. That this isn't a finger pointing, you really should be. It's like, Lord, where am I with you today in my journey? Where am I, and what are you going to say to me? Right where I am. Right where I am. Okay, so Philippians 1 verse 19, what happens is the Apostle Paul continues his thought about being in prison. It's going to work out for the good. And then he transitions from about 10,000 feet to the perspective from space, looking at like this global worldview, life view. So we'll start reading Philippians 1 verse 19. It says this, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, 
to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, labor for me, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and join the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So 12 to 18, he's, he's, he's speaking to us about 10,000 feet about this particular trial he's going through, imprisonment. Then suddenly he goes, whoosh, and he says, hey, I'm actually wrestling with something even bigger. I don't know if I should continue to be on this planet or go home to be with Jesus in heaven. He's like speaking global now. Like, and, and the verse that we're going to focus on is Philippians 1.21. It says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see how he went from, hey, this imprisonment's going to work out for the good. And suddenly he goes, whoop. And he goes, hey, let me give you a global life perspective of where I'm at right now. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And we're going to focus on just the first half of that phrase before the comma today, and then we're going to look at the other half next Sunday. For to me, to live is Christ. Ken Sandy says this, what are you really living for? It's crucial to realize that you either glorify God or you glorify something or someone else. You're always making something look big. So he says, for to me, to live is Christ. And then that quote says, what are you living for? So, you know, as you sit here today, what are you living for? When was the last time you actually sat down and, you know, this is one of those, what is the meaning of life? What is my purpose? Why am I on this planet? Is it just to take up air and real estate? What, why am I here? Not just here, 1290 grand. Why are you here? What is your purpose? What's the driving force? What's your passion? Right? It was a, a little uh, illustration I came across. It says, a young man came to W.E. Gladstone when he was prime minister of England and said, Mr. Gladstone, I would appreciate your giving me a few minutes in which I might lay before you my plans for the future. I would like to study law. Yes said the great statesman, and what then? Then, sir, I would like to gain entrance to the bar of England. Yes, young man, and what then? Then, sir, I hope to have a place in Parliament in the House of Lords. Yes, young man, what then? Pressed Gladstone. Then I hope to do great things for Britain. Yes, young man, and what then? Then, sir, I hope to retire and take life easy. Yes, young man. And what then, he tenaciously asked. Well then, Mr. Gladstone, I suppose I will die. Yes, young man. And what then? The young man hesitated and then said, I never thought any further than that, sir. Looking at the young man sternly and steadily, Gladstone said, Young man, you are a fool. Go home and think life through. Great question, what then? Right, because really it, it, it kind of comes down to what do you, what's your purpose? Have you taken the time to think life through? To think life through. Now, many of us have actually, and I, and I praise God for this, many of you have actually thought life through in the sense that you understood Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and there is an eternal life, and this isn't all there is. So in that sense, you've thought life through, and you put your faith in Jesus. Amen? That's thinking life through. I celebrate that. But what about un until then? What about until then? What then? Right? Or, or maybe you're still in process of where you are, your spiritual journey. Well, that's, a, that's an incredible question to ponder. What then? What after this? What happens after this? Or maybe you're young and you're wondering career, marriage, whatever. Well, have you taken time to think life through? What really matters? What's, what's purpose? Maybe you're mid, midlife. Maybe you're in mid-career. Maybe you're in retirement. What, what's purpose? What, what's driving you? What got you out of bed today? What gives you enthusiasm? Where's your joy? Right? And so the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ, 
and to die is gain. So it says, for to me, right? This is his personal resolve. I can't speak for you, but to me, to live is Christ. And so this boils it right down. You, got, you have to make this decision. No one can make this for you. You have to think through your life. You have to make a decision regarding Jesus. You have to make a decision about purpose and passion and, and meaning. It's on you, right? So he says, to me, to live is Christ. Now that phrase, to live is Christ, that's present tense. And here's something really powerful that, that I came across. Philippians 121 in what's called the Young's Literal Translation, it says it like this. For to me, to live, and the, the is is in brackets because is is not in the original Greek. So it's, for to me, to live Christ and to die gain. Live Christ. Because if you say, hey, to me, to live is Christ, if we're not careful, that's just sort of a doctrinal assertion. I'm a Christian. Of course, to me, to live is Christ. I agree with that. Now, I may not be actually living that, but I agree with that. To me, to live is Christ. Oh, yep, yep. Well, what if I just said, but are you living Christ? Live Christ. Much more powerful action word. See, to live, to me, to live is Christ, that's kind of like a statement. But if you take out is, like in the original Greek, and it says, hey, live Christ. Are you living Christ? Or actually, I'd say, where is Christ in your living? Because the Apostle Paul is saying, when he says, for to me to live is Christ, he is saying, hey, you know what? I've come to this place in my spiritual maturity and my journey that Jesus, that Christ is the essence of my life. He is the core. He is the center. He is the sum total. He's the greatest satisfaction. We read a song about satisfy me, right? He's, I find my greatest fulfillment in him. Christ is my all in all. For to me, to live is Christ. Or in the original, live Christ. That's what gets him up. That's the, that's the undergirding his whole. I've come to the place, he says, it's just Christ. It's just Christ, Right? Stephen Cole says this, to live Christ means to live in union with Christ so that he becomes my all in all. The concept of being in Christ was vital to Paul's understanding of what it means to be a Christian. The believer is in union with Christ. While that is our true standing before God, we must grow in our experience of the reality of that standing so that in our daily lives, we live in fellowship with Christ, communing with him, and depending on him for everything. You see, this, this idea that Christianity is a bunch of principles or programs, a bunch of do's and don'ts, that gets blown up when you say, to me, to live is Christ. It's personal. It is about being in personal union with Christ and daily learning to live out that union, Right? It's not, it's not much different than, than a covenant of marriage where hopefully you're united with your spouse and you're just living out that union. It's not like you even have to overthink it, hopefully, right? And so this morning, the question, if we're going to work through this for me to live is Christ, are you? Is, are you living Christ? Is, it, is, is your Christianity more than principles and programs and rules? Is this personal? Are you here because, ah, uh, I'm living Christ. I got to go to church. I live Christ. I love him. I want to be there. I want to be with his people. He's transforming you, right? The World Biblical Commentary says this. Life is summed up in Christ. Life is filled up, occupied with Christ. In the sense that everything Paul does, trusts, loves, hopes, obeys, preaches, follows, and so on, is inspired by Christ and is done for Christ. Christ and Christ alone gives inspiration, direction, meaning, and purpose to existence. See, that's a view from space. And that's a view that as believers, wherever your journey and however many years, you, need, we, you really need to stop and think. For to me, to live is Christ. Live Christ. Galatians 2.20, Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see? It's relationship. To live Christ is to be in relationship with Christ. It's just who you are. Christ is our life. Right? You're not trying to be something. You're not trying to do something. It's the Holy Spirit transforming you, and it's just coming out of you. Amen? It, that's, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's that simple. Live Christ. Christ our life. Right? And so to, to help us again, because this is one of those messages, I'm like, Lord, how are we going to do this on a Sunday? I said, well, you know what? Just give them the word. And encourage them to go home and ponder, reflect, and meditate on it. And we're going to do that. We're just going to give you scriptures to think about. Proverbs 4.23 says this. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The heart, when it speaks of the heart in the Bible, it means the center of your life. So when it says guard your heart, it means the center of your being, that which sort of all your actions in life come out of your heart. Okay? And I gave you this illustration. I'll use this before and I'll share this with you Borg, because it kind of helps us to understand. Sometimes when we, when we deal with trying to prioritize our life, many of us say God should be number one. How many have ever said or resolved that God should be number one, right? So you, we live kind of like this, this vertical thing, right? And we put one, two, three, God, family, country, job, whatever it is, right? And then how many of you try to wrestle with the fact that God doesn't always stay number one? Right? And so you have this, you live this daily struggle to keep it one because you're living in this vertical hierarchy of, of trying to prioritize your life. Biblically, when it says, guard your heart for everything you do, do uh, flows from it, rather than looking at this way, God number one, da 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 da, right? And then battling and feeling bad that he's not number one because you have a sick child or you got to go to work or you, whatever, and you're saying, oh man, but I really want God to num- be the number one. Well, really what it should be, is this, and this is what I like to use, is your life is really more like this. Christ is my life. He's the center. And all of these spokes represent all the different things I do in my life. My family, my job, relationships, health, everything. And so when he's the center, everything just flows from him. Question for us today. Who or what is in the center of your life? Who or what really drives much of the decisions you make, much of your emotions, your reactions, your words? Who or what is truly your hub, right? Because in 121, the Apostle Paul came to the place, he, he said, you know what, to me, to live is Christ, Right? And so some verses that I, I came, came up with for us to begin to examine our hearts, right? Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Matthew 10. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. James 4. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Finally, 1 John 2. Do not love the world 
or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So in those passages, Jesus really confronts many of us with some of the core things that actually are our life, our treasures, family, our careers, things of the world. And really those verses say, hey, are those really what are driving you? Is that really what's your hub is all about, right? There's a um, character in a very popular uh, series um, on Apple, um, and this character loves the sport of, we would say soccer, but it's football, right? And when they introduced this character, he came up with this phrase that, that became very international, very common. He says, football is life, right? And football meaning soccer, not American football, right? But he's a soccer player, gets onto the team, and he just repeatedly, he just likes, football is life. Football is life. Football is life, right? Every other thing out of it didn't even, didn't even make any sense. He would just randomly say, hey, football is life, right? Because what? Football is life. He loves it. He's good. He's made the pros, right? And to him, football is life. He's all in. He's enthusiastic. It's infectious, right? You know, and, and everyone loves Danny because football is life. And I thought about that character. I'm like, why aren't we who say that Christ is life, why aren't we that excited about Christ being life? It's actually very convicting. He's around. Football is life. Football is life. And he's kicking. He's very good. And I'm like, what about Christians? Christ is life. Christ is life, right? And, and, and you're all in and you're just consumed with Christ is life, right? To me, to live is Christ. Live Christ. Where did that, that joy go? Where, what happened, right? Because I'm going to guess that many of you, when you put your, first put your faith in Jesus, you had one of those Jesus' life moments. Anyone remember back in the day when you were just so enthused? Like your, your spiritual eyes went, book. And you're like, oh my gosh, I get it. God loves me. I'm going to heaven. Oh, because I got saved. And remember, how many of you remember, oh, because I got saved? Anyone remember the, 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 that moment, right? So what happened? Wait, well, over the year, what happened to Christ is life, right? And I, I want to encourage you, it's possible that in your maturing process, it's not condemning, it's just that you are wrestling with and maybe have been wrestling with other things that have become life. And you're wrestling and maybe your loss of joy as a believer is because you've drifted away from the simplicity that Christ is life. Right, I've shared with you before, uh, years ago, especially when we first moved here in Ohio, I loved to fish, so I would go out on the cattle boats I know it's competitive, so, you know, on the cattle boats, there's sort of this unspoken thing that you want to be the first one to bring a fish on just because that's what we do, right? And so the captain would put us around the spot, and, you know, everyone starts getting their rods, and you're technically not supposed to drop until he says, okay, and drop. But those of us who are competitive, you know right when he's about to kill the engine, and so you just drop, like, 10 seconds early, right? And your line's already going down, and then he says, okay, drop. And you're like, all right. And, and I would drop, right? And he puts you right on the fish. Usually, there's rocks underneath there. He uses the radar. And then usually, and the captains are really good, when it drops, boom, because they're there, right? You can go, fish on, and shh, right? And you're doing like this, right? And I've shared with you before, I'm, I get so tunnel vision when I fish, right, that the only thing that I live for in that moment is my rod tip. Right? So I drop it, and nothing, the world just goes blur, and it's just me and the rod tip. And boom, right? But what happens over time is suddenly the bite kind of seems to go cold, right? 
And I'm looking, and then suddenly the captain goes, okay, we've drifted. Reel them up. we got to reset, right? And I look up. Finally, I look up, and we have drifted like half a mile away. And I had no clue because I was so consumed with my rod tip that I did not realize I was drifting. And I think sometimes in our life, things come along, even good things, and we get so focused on them, even with the best of intentions, that we drift away from Christ being our life. Okay? And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share some things. And I have two broad categories, I think, practical drifting and personal drifting, and I'll explain the personal part. Doesn't mean they're necessarily evil. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that you're a sinful person. I'm going to give a list that mostly 99% of it comes in my own experience of where I've learned that I've drifted in the hopes that maybe this week you'll ponder. What is your hub? What is competing at the hub level of your life? So we're going to put that phrase up just for you to think. For me to live is. Now here's the thing. Everybody here has one or more things in that blank. Now, I know if you're a believer, you would like to say Christ, and I'm not going to doubt that it is. But here's the thing. That blank is not empty for anybody here or anybody listening. Because all I have to do is ask you how you spent your time this week, where you put your money, what were your priorities, how did you spend your free, your free time, what were your words, what were your thoughts, what were your actions, all the elements of your life will fill that blank in. It will. So the question as we go through this for you, or to me to live is, or to me to live has been, okay? I'm going to share a lot of this. It's just my own journey, not meant to throw rocks at anyone, but maybe just will help you to understand the things that compete for our hub. So for to me, to live is success. For to me, to live is to provide for my family. To live is to maximize pleasure, avoid pain. To me, to live is to keep up an image. To me, to live is, or at one point, to find a spouse, girlfriend, relationship. To me, is relationships. To me, to live is academics. Good report cards. To me, to live is hobbies, sports, material comfort. Right? To me, to live is career. To me, to live is being able to buy a house. To me, to live is retirement. And then taking it easy. You see, those are kind of practical things that can actually become our drivers and actually take away our enthusiasm because Christ is in our life. I'm consumed with my making enough money for retirement. That's what's driving me. Even the best of ways. A father of five kids. And I realized, you know, I was a dedicated dad. But when I first, uh, you know, when, when I realized the responsibility of being a dad, honestly... For many, many years, and this is why I'm saying it's not a bad thing, except for the fact if it takes the place of Christ. For many, many years, I just jumped right in, and, and what consumed me was being a good dad. Being a good dad. It doesn't mean I wasn't saved. It doesn't mean I didn't love Jesus. It just meant that the hub of my life in certain seasons was my kids and family, maybe more than just growing as a believer. I was consumed with the practicality of life. Okay? And then there's this, then I was thinking more, I was like, okay, what about the personal side? Things that, that maybe drive us, drive me at the hub that aren't necessarily just practical. How about this? For me to live is fear. To live is worry. To live is anxiety. To live is insecurity. To live is to try to be perfect. To try to live is to please man, right? And then I think about even the current situation in the world, right? Even I wrestle with this. To me, to live is to make it through this pandemic. 
To me, to live is not to be pushed around. To me, to live is just to live. You see? If we start to take the time, if we, if we stop and we take the time, and you say, Lord, what are some things that are really driving me? For to me, to live is, and you fill in the blank. What is it? And here's the thing, guys. If you choose to go there, I believe God in his, is the great shepherd and his loving father, Abba. He'll begin to show you, you, in a very loving, gracious, compassionate way. But here's the thing. It might be real painful. Especially if you've been in church for a while. Because he sees right through churchiness and it's really easy to put things up, images up, show up at church, say all the right things at Bible study on Zoom and, and you know, kind of like playing really good. And then you show, you say, Father, what is really driving me? And he says, well, you know what? It's your image. That's what's really driving you. you know, for me to live is what, you know? And, and this might even be where you find one or two really trusted brothers or sisters in the Lord and you begin this journey of maturing together where you say you know what can I talk to you because you know what I'm actually I've been a believer for x number of years and I'm finding out I'm actually driven by material comfort I'm, I'm actually driven by my bank account and the finances I'm actually driven because of this fear of this whole pandemic I'm I'm driven by a lot of other things other than Christ you find someone, you say, you know what? Hey, brother and sister, I know you love me, so I'm, gonna be, I'm just going to be like really honest with you. Christ is not my life. Christ is not my life. If I'm really honest with you, I want him to be, and I'm not doing horrific, sinful, evil, wicked things. I'm just kind of consumed with other things right now, and they'll, those are my life. And the challenging part is they're actually good things, things I should be doing as a responsible Parent, spouse, contributing member of society. They're good things, but as a believer, anything that takes the place of Christ or God is an idol. And so sometimes I have to be honest and say, Lord, are there idols in my life? And you know what the, one of the biggest challenges for me, being on this side right now? Ministry. I'll confess this right now. There are times in 30 years of ministry where ministry has become an idol. You stand up here and you got people coming and they pat you on the back and they say good sermon and you, you, know, you help people, you counsel, you go do visitations. And if I'm not careful, ministry is life, not Christ. Because I get all that affirmation and if I need, you know, if I'm looking to people and things to find my real need, right? Satisfaction, fulfillment, joy. Well, you know what? It's that quick that ministry can be my life, my idol my God, because it's not too hard to find it if I'm looking for all that stuff that only Christ really can provide. So just I share that with you because I wrestle with that. I wrestled with it as a young pastor, big churches, mega churches. Oh, dude, you're the high school pastor. You took, you took over after Miles McPherson? Isn't Miles a pastor of 12,000? Yeah, I know Miles. Yeah, I used to babysit Miles' kids when they were this big. You know Miles, yeah. You know, oh, you went to Promise Keepers with Miles? Yeah, I traveled the country with Miles. We did Billy Graham events. You went to Promise Keepers in Houston, and you were there with the big dogs with Miles? Yeah, I saw all the Promise Keeper speakers, all the big... It's easy. It's really easy to get caught up and drift away from Christ being your life. It's really easy. And so I just want to encourage you, right, wherever you are. That's why I prefaced it with the Apostle Paul is speaking from years, okay? And he's saying, hey, you know what? I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I had success and achievement in the world of religion, and then I was shipwrecked, and I got whipped 39 times, and I thought I was going to die. And somehow, through all these years, to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He's speaking in a very reflective moment. He's speaking with wisdom gleaned from life, okay? And so I want to encourage 
you. What's right here? What's your hub? What really drives you? Again, biggest challenge? It's not necessarily bad things. That's, that's the challenging part. It's not like you're bad people. It's not like you're going to leave here and do sinful things. The real challenge is there's a lot of good things that really compete for Christ being our life. Right? So where do we begin? How, how can we process this? Well, if we're going to live Christ fundamentally, you've got to love Christ. That, okay? Live Christ starts with loving Christ. It really just goes back to the first commandment. Remember? Right? Matthew 22. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. 1 John 4.19 says, we love him because he first loved us. He initiated the love. So maybe you're sitting here or you're at home and you're like, wow, what do I do with all this? Here's my encouragement. We're going to keep it real simple. Spend as much time as necessary to go back to loving God, which means go back to receiving his love, even if you've been walking with him for umpteen years. Maybe spend this week and just celebrate God's love for you. And maybe that will flip things back to where they need to be and you just start loving him. Because here's the thing. When Christ is your life, will you be a better husband? Okay, the answer is yes. <laughs> and although like, <laughs> hey, 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 we just figured it out. <laughs> I know what your problem is. Right? If Christ is your life, Will you potentially be a better wife? If Christ is your life, will you potentially want to glorify him at work and be therefore be a better employee with Christ as your life? With Christ as your life, will you be a better friend in a desire to glorify God and honor him in your friendships? With Christ as your life, will you just live a God-glorifying life? See, but the thing is, we flip it. We put everything that's on the spoke into the hub. When the truth is, put Jesus in the hub and all the spokes benefit. Amen? That's what you got to do. And the challenging part is that life doesn't stop, does it? We're going to end here pretty soon, and some of you already have your, the rest of the day filled. Who has the rest of the day filled already? Thank you very much. Right? So it doesn't stop. So when are we supposed to do this? Well, that's the million-dollar question for you to figure out. But you gotta, you got to make a choice. you got to make some decisions here. It might be you need to go for a walk without your phone. What? Did you just say without my phone, Barry? Ooh. Maybe phone is in the hub. Maybe social media is the hub. Maybe it's the first thing you check when you get up. There's a good, there's a good tell. What's the first thing you do when you get up? If you're checking your phone, rather than maybe thanking God for another day of life, you may want to say, Lord, could that be my hub? Is email my hub? Is Facebook my hub? Is Instagram my hub? Or my text my hub? Just do an inventory of your life. Your hub will be revealed pretty quickly. Pretty quickly. And then you make necessary changes. I was so guilty of this phone thing. My alarm would go off, and I literally would check my emails and my texts. Like, literally, or, or my, you know, 4, 35 o'clock, boom, boom. And I'm like, and then I would go to my news feed. I haven't even got out of bed, and I'm reading about a fallen, broken world. And I'm like, this is not healthy. 
right? This is, this is not good. But I would check my emails and texts, you know, in case any of you decided to contact me overnight. And, um, and then, you know, I convinced myself, oh, but it's good to be up on the news right away. Don't want to be surprised. Know what to, you know, so I know what I need to pray for, wink, wink. Literally, before I would get out of bed, I'd check emails, texts, and read what I needed to read on the news. And oftentimes, <laughs> I would not want to get out of bed. And I'm like, oh my gosh, here we go again. And it would just really, because that was my hub, it would affect the rest of the spokes because now I'm, I'm, I'm like emotionally and mentally affected because I put that in the hub. I put my phone and checking that as the center, the start and the center of my day. I literally choose not to. I just walk away from it now. It's that practical and that difficult. So if you're finding like, man, what does it mean? I I can't do my phone. Yeah, I encourage you. Find an accountability partner. Leave your phone in another room for an hour. It'll be fine. It will. (laughs) Some of you are like, what do you mean? It's hard enough turning it off while we're at church. But it's on vibrate just in case. I know you guys. All right? Some of you would go with major withdrawals if we said, we have a basket. Please deposit your phone before you come in. Oh, no, we're going back online. Going back to live stream. Can't sit there without my phone. It was so funny when we just thought of when we would go to take the kids to Hume Lake. This was before um, Hume Lake had any Wi-Fi or anything, so there's no reason to have it. And I remember one, one uh, year, we collected the phones when we arrived at camp. Woo! And we said you'd get it back at the end of the week. So initially it was, but you know when they did this? The next moment they're like, <sighs> free. Was no longer an issue, was no longer a temptation, was no longer a source of contention because that was just gone off the radar. For some of us to get back to Christ being our life, we need to take some things off the radar. Seriously, that simple. Real practical. Like I said, find a friend that will help you. Share your life. Okay, so I want to just encourage us um, before we take communion. Spend time this week and ask the Lord to really honestly and lovingly show you who or what is your hub. Because the Apostle Paul came to a place in his life. He says, you know what? Hey, for to me, to live is Christ. Or just, hey, live Christ. Just live Christ, Right? I love this quote. It says, to live as Christ means that Christ is our focus, our goal, and our chief desire. Christ is the center point of our mind, heart, body, and soul. Everything that we do, we do for Christ's glory. As we run the race marked out for us, we lay aside the entangling sin and worldly distractions, fixing our eyes on Jesus. He is our life. And so maybe, honestly, even right now, one thing you can do, confess if you've been caught up in the things of the world and distracted in christ if you're sitting here and you're at home and you honestly know that christ has not been your life doesn't mean you're a horrible person it just means you need to confess it and make it right and then do what you need to do to keep him the center the hub okay let's pray father thank you Thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul. And he had come to a place in his sanctification where he was able to say quite confidently, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He had this incredible perspective on life and death. And this morning, I I would just ask you, Father, as only you can do in the Holy Spirit's power, you know us, would you speak to our hearts? For me to live is what? For me to live has been what? Because 
Because, Father, truly, you satisfy our real needs. Only you. And many of the things we put in that blank, we're, we're trying to satisfy these felt needs. We're looking for, for things that the world or others cannot provide. So, Father, as your children, we confess Christ is not our life all the time. We confess the things that really fill in the blank, even the good things, but they still fill in the blank and crowd out Jesus. We confess them. And Father, we're going to need you and maybe the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, to come alongside us and make some practical change, whether it's with our phone, social media, habits, scheduling, whatever. Just make this real and make it practical to do our best not to drift, to do our best to keep Christ as our hub. And I think of no better way than to take communion because Jesus says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Communion is more than just tradition. It's coming back and putting Christ as the center every week. We come to the cross because Christ is our life. We come to the cross because we're reminded that you loved us first and you just want us to love you back. Communion is about Christ being our life. Communion is about your grace, your love, when we were so undeserving and so unworthy. And so prepare our hearts to remember you, Jesus. Prepare our hearts to put you back in the center of our life. And if you're here this morning and you've never put Christ as the center of your life, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, first step, put your faith in Christ this morning. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. So in the best way you know how, you can say, dear God, thank you for loving me first. Thank you for your grace. In the best way I know how, I'm putting my faith, I'm trusting Jesus as my Savior my Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. I believe you rose from the dead. And Again, I ask you to forgive me. I trust you and you alone. You are my life. You are my Savior.